This morning we are reading from Colossians 2. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch... These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom 
with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Hello, everyone. I'll just move this out of the way. Okay, today we're going to be diving into Colossians 2. And at first, when I was given Colossians 2, I was slightly disappointed because usually when I look at Colossians, I tend to look towards Colossians 1 because in Colossians 1, there's so many rich examples and descriptions of who Jesus is. It talks about Jesus being the firstborn of all of creation this beautiful image that we are given to us through Colossians 1. So when I was given Colossians 2, first a few things came to mind. Oh, I'm going to have to talk about legalism again. But as I read the word, as I read Colossians 2, things started jumping out at me. And now I'm very excited to share with you about Colossians 2. And it's my prayer today that you'll be able to look at this chapter with fresh eyes. Just a little bit of a disclaimer before I go forward. Colossians 2, as you know, read by Lynn, it's a very long book. So there's some things that I won't be able to touch on, but I encourage you, especially in your life groups, go a little bit deeper and explore the Word of God for yourself. So there are three themes that I have identified within Colossians 2. So number one is Christ, the mystery of the ages. Number two, do not be deceived. You see, deception, the devil is very tricky. Deception sometimes creeps into the church and people get deceived and they turn away from the right path. And the third thing is it's your funeral and I'll get into that a little bit later. But those are the verses that correspond to those titles. So you guys can write it down and look at it in your own time. So Christ, the mystery of the ages. What a beautiful picture. First of all, I want you to know how hard I am contending with you, for you, and for those at Laodicea. What's really interesting, first of all, about the book of Colossians is that it's the only book... Um, only letter from Paul that is addressed to two churches. It's interesting, right? I've always thought to myself, oh, Paul's writing to the Colossian church. And that is very true. He is writing to the Colossian church. But you notice in this particular verse here and in later in Colossians is that this letter is also designed, it's also written to the church of Laodicea. Now, Colossians is a city that was considered relatively wealthy. It was located, it is, was located in a trade route, which most likely meant it was very well off. Also, because it was on a trade route, it was very strategically well placed for the spreading of the gospel. We know that the Church of Colossae was a mature church community. You see, in verse 4, Paul says that he's delighted to see just how disciplined this church is in terms of its practices and how firm their faith in Christ is. So this particular church knew about Jesus, knew about the truths of Jesus. Unlike other letters that Paul has written, for example, to the Galatians, where he talks about back to the rudimentary truths, that's not the case with the church of Colossae. 
this church was considered mature in their faith. Have a look at verse 2. It is my goal that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so they may have the full, the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God. Do you know the mystery of God for us, we see it and we take it sometimes for granted. But up until this point, the mystery of God was veiled. Nobody knew God was a mystery, the glory of God. Let's have a look at what it says. Actually, before I do that, you'll notice that in the scriptures, the, the mystery of God was foretold by the prophets, foreshown through the scripture, and it's foreshadowed by the law. And it says here that this mystery, mainly in Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all the hidden treasures of God himself are found in Jesus. Heaven's wisdom is waiting to be discovered through the person of Jesus. We have that. And now he's saying to this mature church, you have been given all the treasures of wisdom. It is my encouragement to you that you will be united in love and heart so that you may find these riches in Jesus Christ. Let's go on to the next slide. For he is the complete fullness of deity living in human form. So he himself, Jesus, is God. The God, the Jesus that lives in our hearts is the fullness of God. And our own completeness is found in him. We are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows within us. He is the head over every kingdom and authority and universe. I hope this actually wows us. Because for me, I read this translation of the Bible and what happened is it transformed the way that I viewed this verse that I read again and again. The complete fullness of God is within me. It overflows within us. Number 16, therefore do not let anyone judge what you eat or drink. So this is referring to the old way, the law. And it goes down, verse 17, these are the shadows of things to come. The law foreshadowed the coming of the great mystery that was in Jesus Christ. Do not be deceived. If you look into the verses, just having a look into the chapter, number two, you'll notice that this chapter comes with a warning. Do not be deceived, mature Christians. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you with fine arguments. Beware that no one distracts you or intimidates you in their attempt to lead you away from Christ's fullness by pretending to be full of wisdom when they're filled with endless arguments of human logic. For they operate with humanistic and clouded judgments based on the mindset of the world system and not on the anointed truths of the anointed one. In the NIV version, it says, 
Beware that no one takes you captive. See, to be taken captive is the opposite of being set free. In Jesus, we are set free, but it's also possible that we get taken captive. I find that very interesting. And NIV says, hollow and deceptive philosophy. Now, we don't have time to go into it in incredible detail, but in chapter 2, Paul addresses two things. He addresses Gnosticism, which was um, very prevalent in the day, where they worshipped deities and angels, where there were many paths to heaven, and it was all about doing good deeds. Just as a bit of, um, it's, it's a very shallow explanation, I know, but just um, to let you guys have a bit of an idea. And the second thing that Paul addresses is legalism. Now, Judaistic culture, Judaism, was the belief they had before Jesus, where you had to abide by laws, rules, and regulations. But not only that, you find and you read, you read the Bible, the Jews not only followed the decrees and laws that God set out for them, they added their own. They added their own laws and decrees. So no longer is it, you know, sacrifice, sacrifice um, a, a lamb for me. No longer is don't eat this, you know, the laws that God has written down. But what they did was they added their own rules. I want to ask you today, have we added our own rules to our faith that are not within the word of God? It talks here about philosophies. What are some of the philosophies? Oh, sorry, number four. It says, um, I tell you this, do, that no one may deceive you by fi fine-sounding arguments. What are some fine-sounding arguments that could actually deceive us today? So some of the ones that are out there, for example, the New Age movement, many paths to the same God, same heaven. If you be a good person, you're going to get to heaven. If I do good deeds, then I'm qualified. Um, another one, Stoic philosophy. I mean, I don't think we have any Stoics in the room, but Stoic philosophy. I know a lot of friends that believe in this way of thinking, where the individual is in control it's about controlling yourself, your emotions, response to your environment to have the best possible outcome. See, when we look at these philosophies in this way, we think, we don't follow these things. But I find that within myself, and just from observation in today's culture and society and churches, is that self, the philosophy of self-help is actually incredibly prevalent. And within self-help, I actually find a lot of these philosophies embedded. So self-help, I am. I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to find ways that I can break my habits. I'm going to be a better leader. I am. You see, the self-help industry is worth billions of dollars, billions. And it's all about making yourself better, smarter, happier, better looking. 
the self-help industry, and just a couple of things that the self-help industry focuses on. First of all, it focuses on yourself, right? Self-help shines a bright light and encourages introspection, which is a good thing, right? But while introspection is healthy, it can turn so easily into self-centeredness. We are a very self-centered society. We love to elevate ourselves. And I just want to point back, you know, to the beginning of creation. What was the first ever temptation that Adam and Eve experienced? They wanted to be like God. That elevation of self is prevalent, and it's still prevalent today. The elevation of self, what I am, what I can do for myself. Number two is it wrongly assumes that I have the ability to change myself. We can encourage, we can change our habits, make healthy choices, but our souls only change when we encounter God. Number three, it puts the onus of us on us to shepherd ourselves. The premise of self-help in Christian circles is that God helps those who help themselves. It sounds ridiculous when we say it out, but I think sometimes I think that. If I'm being lazy, God's not going to help me. So therefore I must do A, B, C, D, and then, you know, I'll have God's favour. The gospel of Jesus Christ, though, is that God helps those who can't help themselves. It's not through our own strength. And the last one, I believe that self-help has a tendency to trap us in, is self-deception. I'm a good person because I've done my meditation, and this is a culture thing. I've done my meditation, I'm a good person because I have read today's verses. I'm a decent member of society. Self-deception helps us to convince ourselves and others as well that we are better, I'm more moral, I'm more stronger, I'm smarter than we really are. I am who I make of myself. I am what I do. I am a self-made woman or man. And I look at today, there are so many self-help books out there. So many. So many gurus of productivity, self-enhancement, methods to handle stress, effective time management, goal-setting, leadership tactics. I mean, these are good things, right? Good things. But just as an example, it's like us going to a buffet, an all-you-can-eat five-star buffet and filling ourselves up with the garlic bread. Right? It sounds ridiculous. But in Jesus, we have been given all the mystery of God, the treasures of all knowledge. In Jesus, we have been set free. In Jesus, we can find the mysteries of heaven. But yet we choose to eat the garlic bread. Since we worship what we believe will satisfy us, Improving ourselves can become idolatry. 
It can become self-glorification mission that in the end robs us of the joy of beholding Jesus as our treasure, our saviour and our helper. See, it's not about I am, but it's about the great I am. It's not about who I am, but it's about who he is. And we need to change our mindsets because it's so easy for us to mix the philosophies of today's society into our own faith, into our church culture. The real, we must not let self-help become a false gospel or a counterfeit God. The real power to change rests in the nail-pierced hands of Jesus. Cling to him and said, and you'll find that your hearts will start rejoicing in ways that you've never experienced. And you will become more like him. You will grow personally in terms of substance, maturity, as Jesus grows in you. Again, self-help and leadership studies and stuff are not bad. I subscribe and read to a lot of these things. But the true, the true change comes from the changer. It's not about who I am or what I am. It's about the great I am. So as I close this particular part, I want you to do one thing, and that is to question everything. Is this the right way of thinking? Am I being deceived? Am I doing what the Colossian church has been doing and mixing the world's philosophies into my own faith? Third part, it's your funeral. And this is, this is such, such good verses and it says so much about our faith See, through the union we have with him, we have experienced what circumcision of the heart. Now that's referring, once again, to the law. In, in Abraham's day, they used to have to circumcise the males, and this was a signature that they belonged to God's people. But no longer do you need to do that because of your heart. People will know that you are God's people by the quality of your heart because the mystery of God is in your heart who was Christ Jesus. All the guilt and power of sin have been cut away. Oops. Have been cut away and is now extinct because of what Christ the Anointed One has accomplished for us. So it is through Christ that we see change within our lives. And now, verse 12, for we have been buried with him into his death our baptism into death also means we've been raised with him when we believed in God's resurrection power. So as we were baptized, and I know, and I've said this before, we look at baptism as a public declaration of our faith, and that is so true. We are publicly declaring our undying love for Jesus, and we're going to follow him to the ends of the earth, and it's public, right? But what it's telling us here in verse 12 is that baptism is a funeral service. Look at what it says. For we've been buried with him into death. So as we go into the water, it's like we're going into the soil with Jesus when he died. And when we resurrect, well, not when we resurrect, but when we come out of water, it's like we're a new creation. 
We are new in Jesus Christ. It means we were raised with him, and when we believe in God's resurrection power, that he raised him from the death's realm. This death's realm describes our former state, for when we were held in sin's grasp, but now, now, we are resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return, for we are forever alive, forgiven in all our sins. See, self-help is all about effort, what I can do, what I need to do in order to get better, five steps to a better living, you know? It's, it's, all, it's all about, you know, self-effort. But here it talks about us resting in who Jesus is and that just like baptism, we too, our old self, you know, has died. We've gone into the water and we've become a new person. And this is where I'm going to land in the end. As I mentioned at the beginning, the church of Laodicea was also one of the audiences that Paul intended for this letter. We don't hear much about the church of Colossians, and I like to often do this, is sort of read up in terms of what became of that church. What happened to that church after they read the letter? Did they improve? Did they grow? We don't know sometimes, but... In the word, we actually know a little bit about the church of Laodicea. And I'm just going to turn our attention to that and we'll end there. So if you go to Revelation, <coughs> Revelation, I believe it's 3, 14 to 22, open up your Bibles and let's have a look. Did the church of Laodicea grow, learn and take hold of the mystery that is God? Let's see if I can find it. <laughs> Okay. Before we go into it, just a little bit of a background with Laodicea. It's a very rich, rich area. They're known for their black wool. So what they would do is they would go to places like Colossae and they would sell and trade their black wool. And they were an incredibly wealthy area. Not, yeah, area. And... What is really interesting also about this particular area is that they have no, their own water source. So what they would do is they would actually bring in water from neighboring countries in order to sustain their area. Now let's have a look at what it says. To the angel of the church of Laodicea, these words of the amen, amen the faithful, the true witness, ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. And then he goes on and says, you are neither hot nor cold. You are Luke. I wish you were either one or the other. I used to read this and not quite understand why it's good to be cold. I mean, I can understand hot. You know, you're on fire for God. You're passionate. But why is it good to be cold? But once you understand the culture and the context of the church of Laodicea, it does make sense. To be hot is a good thing. To be cold, it's a bad thing. But to be lukewarm, which is what their water was like in their country, it meant that it bred bacteria. It was stagnant water. It couldn't hold life. 
So what the Laodiceans had to do was ship their water into their own land in order to be able to sustain themselves. Now, um, now John uses this example, and he says, I'd rather you hot or cold, but if you are lukewarm, stagnant, unmoving, unchanging, then I will spit you out of my mouth. And then it goes on. It talks about, you say I'm rich, I've, required, I've acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. It talks about their wealth. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, and poor, blind, and naked. And then it goes on and it talks about being gold. I counsel you to become gold refined in fire. In verse 20, and I love this verse. I often hear this verse being spoken to people that are non-Christians. Hey, God's standing at the door knocking. But realize this, it's spoken. This particular passage is written to Christians, mature Christians. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, they will open the door. I will eat with that person and they with me. So in closing, let's, I believe that God stands at the door of our hearts, the great mystery that's waiting for us to invest time in him, to love him, to obey him. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you, Father, that you are present within us, the God of all creation, the great I am, whom holds all the mysteries of heaven, the universe, ourselves, others, lives within our heart. And Lord, you desire that for us to turn and to experience and connect with you. And I pray if there's anything in our hearts that we need to question, that we might have added to our own belief system that, aren't of, that isn't of you, I pray that you address it now.